Hey everyone, Lou Mavs here from the Music is Live podcast with a really important question. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get Music is Life off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I record an episode, how do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen, and how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is real simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means that you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Since I started my YouTube channel, I've been able to edit the audio on iMovie and then bump it to Anchor and distribute it on the podcast to everybody. And I still use Anchor to record audio-only podcasts. So if you always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Maz of the Music is Live podcast, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Schmackamagob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The right opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Ex-Stradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and The Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Music is Live podcast. This is your host, Lou Mabs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musicislivepodcast.com. My guest today is Mr. Steven Nemiroff, the lead singer of the band Left of the Slash. Like me, Steve got his start in New York City, where he's originally from. He made his way out to California to really make a dent in rock music today. I'm really happy to have him on the show. It's good to know that there are still people out there who believe in rock music, want to promote it, and want to write it, and want to record it, and tour behind it, perform it, and just bring it back to the people. This podcast makes it a point that all art is valid, but let's not forget the rock thank you so much steven for joining me today how you doing um great man thanks for having me really uh, appreciate it been uh, following your stuff and very cool i appreciate that too thank you you were recommended to me by mr tony santana of mob city records and in case anyone hasn't noticed the trend tony's been recommending me some good shit lately so i just want to keep an upward trajectory of good music and good artists before we begin how was it that you and tony met tony i've known him for a long time from back in new york his best friend his younger brother is one of my best friends 
So we've always been like in touch. And when I moved out here, I kind of hit him up. And then when I was kind of getting music going for, for this version of Left of the Slash, and he was just a big instrumental part in helping and being my music older brother and it's kind of how I look at him and he's the he's the fucking man. Well, I'm really happy that he recommended you to me and recommended the music because I listened to all of your tracks, which are currently available on all streaming media platforms. I heard them on Apple Music. There's four singles out. There's Feel Me, Two Minds, One Head, Call On, Nothing to Show. And before I begin, I got to sweat you a little bit. Call On is probably one of the best rock tracks that I've heard all year. So much of it reminded me of stuff that I grew up in the 90s, but it's got dynamics of stuff that I grew up listening to the 70s. I hear a little pumpkins in there. I hear a little Soundgarden. I hear a little Clutch. I hear a little Black Sabbath. I even hear some other obscure bands of the 90s like Therapy. And it's funny. And I grew up in the hardcore scene in New York, but I loved a lot of the band of the 90s because they weren't afraid to experiment. I get that from Leather the Slash. Thank you for doing that. What I love about your music the most is that, you know, you take your influences, but it comes out in an original package, like a band that I never heard before. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's working in my opinion. Thank you, brother. I mean, those are some really kind words. Yeah, we actually just released our, our next single, or our latest single, rather, on uh, Friday. So that's um, called Never Let Go. That's available on all streaming platforms as well. Call On's an interesting one. A lot of people are saying, hey, it's Pumpkins-esque. Uh, there's some Jeans Addiction in there. I see you're wearing a Floyd shirt, a Dark Side shirt. What, it's actually what is, a Legend of Zelda shirt. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, I only but, caught the top of it. You know, that's the problem with Zooms. You always like, I'm not really <laughs> in the same room as you. So I but I got it because I love Zelda and I love right. Pink Floyd. So it kind of got the best of both worlds in there. I buy yeah, funky shirts. I grew shirts, up playing that video game, bro. I know what you're talking about. I love Zelda. I mean, that yeah. that was my shit growing up. I mean, took me forever. took me 20 years to beat Zelda 2, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Left of the Slosh. We're not here to talk about Zelda. <laughs> so anyway, but again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, I emphasize for a call on, I really dug the groove that happened as soon as the song switched up. So yeah. I definitely, that that attracted me because I'm a huge Clutch fan. So I yeah. was really, really taken aback with that. So good on, good job really on that. I appreciate one. it, man. Thank you for, for no problem. As I ask all my artists that come on the show, if you could please provide some backstory. So, Aaron, your publicist, sent me your press kit mm -hmm. and very well written. And it stated that you're from New York City, as you mentioned originally, and that you formed the band originally in 2005, currently based in California. So I remember the musical landscape in New York in 2005. There were indie bands trying to make it thanks to the success of bands like Modest Mouse. Right. Emo bands trying to be the new MTV darlings and hopefully getting signed to Victory Records. And cover bands and tribute bands being the only bands to get gigs on Long Island. Yeah. Unfortunately, some other mm -hmm. boroughs that were popping at one point, like Queens and Brooklyn, kind of died out. But, you know, obviously there's a big resurgence of live music in Brooklyn. So I want to know what life was like for you as a musician in New York. And what was it that made you want to come all the way to California? So I started writing music when I was like 13 and then got into taking it to another level when I was around like, I don't know, uh, 18, 19 years old. And that kind of like translated into what left of the slash, I guess 1.0 was me on guitar and bass player, drummer, 
And we were playing places like Sullivan Hall, the Lions Den before it was Sullivan Hall. Uh, we played there a lot. Places like the Pussycat Lounge. Um, I don't know. There was, there was a lot of places that in New York, and it, it was real fun. Um, at that point, you know, I was so young that my voice sounded a lot different and I couldn't really sing the stuff that we were doing. So we were just kind of like an all instrumental band. We were always kind of looking for a singer, but we always loved the sound of a trio. And like, it was hard to bring someone else in with the personalities we had to add a fourth person in. It just didn't really work. So we were like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll just leave it as instrumental and the people that got it, got it. And then for whatever reason, it just wasn't working out at that point. And we decided to go our own ways. I was living on Long Island at the time. Then I moved into New York City full time, lived there for about 10 years, really didn't do anything with music at all. And then about three and a half years ago, moved out to LA. And I hooked up with Wynn Davis and Steve Orness at Total Access Recordings in Redondo Beach. They kind of like really just took me under their wing with with also with with Tony. We just kind of just started making music because it wasn't about really having a band at that point. It was more like if you have songs, it's a totally different world now, you know, in 2020, 15 years later, where it's just easier to like really make music if you have music written, right? And for me, I've really arranged these, the music over the years in my head to a degree that like, I know what everything is going to sound like. So that album that, you, that you're listening to and that's being released in singles, it's really like my life's work in a lot of ways coming to life. I'm just kind of still blown away of how it really came out and the responses that we're getting for like connoisseurs like yourself that really know what they're talking about. And it just means like the world to me and it really motivates me to just keep making fucking music if anything like that's that's what it's about you know it's about some people that get it and is it the same stuff that's on the radio right now not yet is what i would say and and it has been at the same time because i remember a time in where i was listening to k-rock in new york and you know it'd be pearl jam stone temple pilot smashing pumpkins and like that was the music right and that's what people listen to and it was popular then and why isn't it popular again now and i i think the reason is it's not that it's not good music. I just think that there aren't enough bands really driving that ship. And once there's more of a, like a movement or whatnot created, and hopefully that we could be a part of it. I think that it will be pop music again, um, especially the way it'll translate live and it'll translate live better than some of this other music out there, which I love. And I listen to with my wife all the time and it's great, but I've seen some of these bands live and it's hard to replicate having 15 guitar tracks and 10 vocal tracks on a live band. What I've found is that, you know, a lot of the music sounds better in the studio. Our music, we're going to try and make better live. When Soundgarden played a show live, you'd be like, whoa, that was much better than Bad Motorfinger. And Bad Motorfinger's a fucking amazing album. But oh, it's my favorite. they did live blew that away and that's what we're trying to do like there i love the attitude i think it's fresh and refreshing i have nothing against really the music that's out today either i find it formulaic but that's always the problem with everything it becomes formula I i'm always looking for stuff that kind of sticks out from 
what everybody else is doing. First of all, calling me a music connoisseur, thank you. I you're you're too kind. I didn't expect that. I've never been called that before, but I'm just a fan and I love good stuff. But thank yeah. you. No, um it's not that I dislike what's out there at the moment that's popular. It's for me, I'm always looking for something different. Popular doesn't mean that it's bad. Even if it's good but it's not popular, that shouldn't discredit it. To me, it's like it takes somebody time to write the stuff, record the stuff, put the stuff out there it's refreshing for me that you're doing that right now with left of the slash i would like to see others follow suit and not be afraid to pick up an electric not electronic an electric instrument and really make a dent in the fabric of alternative music i would like to see organic rock music make a resurgence yeah, for sure. That's very well said. I, I, I definitely would agree with it. And again, like, it's no disrespect to that music at all. It's just, it's not stuff that I make. And I just feel like that, you know, I listen and I study a lot of this music, you know, Nirvana and all this stuff. And I just feel like that there's still like a lot left to put out of that type of music. I that, agree. Yeah. Is Nirvana your favorite trio? Um. I don't know. I mean, it depends what day you catch me. It's like, it could be Double Trouble with Steve Ray Vaughan. It could be Rush. It could be Dinosaur Jr. Dinosaur Jr. right now is probably my favorite trio for the last couple of years. Uh, nice. You know, I can't, uh, I can't wait to see them again live. And I think they're playing the Fonda in November. That's uh, someone that never gets mentioned. It's so good to hear somebody say Dinosaur Jr. I love their album, Where You Been. I am oh, yeah. a huge fan of that album. Yeah, dude. I'm huge Jay Masses fan. I'm a huge Lou Barlow fan. His solo stuff, Sebado. They're awesome. I don't know, ZZ Top. Like, I don't know. There's there's so many. You know, like, <laughs> well, you mentioned Rush, and yeah. that's one of my top five favorite bands of all of, 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 Hell yeah. of all time. Of course, you're a Zelda dude. Of course you listen to Rush while you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Uh love the police too. That's a great one. Yeah happy to say that i saw them in concert before they broke up for the final time <laughs> i saw cream i did see cream and that's one of the original like real rock oh treatment. did you was that at one of the garden shows or did you actually go yeah. to england for that in the garden i saw in the same week i saw cream and nine inch nails in the same seats that i got given it was a long story but Two totally different concerts, two out-of-control concerts. That's probably the best week of live music I'll see. I don't know if you could top that. With Sir, Ginger I envy Baker your life. <laughs> yeah, Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce. And I'm like, shit, like, you know. One lineup I would love to have seen, because I know that Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce actually did an album with Gary Moore back in the day. I would yeah. love to have seen that live. But, you know, yeah, not taking anything away from Clapton. I'm just more of a Gary Moore fan, but, you know. Yeah, no, I hear you, bro. The guy's guy shreds. Mm, rest in peace good sir yeah and you mentioned the lions then uh sullivan hall i played there before and that was such a great venue i miss it, it. i miss playing there yeah they were so kind to us we could bring people sometimes and then sometimes you couldn't and they kind of kept up with us and then at the end they're like look are you really gonna bring 100 people and i'm like I don't know, man. I don't want to lie to you. You're like friends now at this point. Like, you know? It's always a crapshoot because it's like yeah. you know, you're trying to build a following, but you know they have to understand that it's not always your friends that are going to come to shows. You yeah. know, the point is that you want to attract people. You want to play out to as many people as possible, especially strangers, so that they could come back and they could tell their friends and this and that. It can't always just be family and friends all the time. These promoters drive me crazy. Sometimes. Oh, well, you know, the other thing about it, it's, it's interesting. It ties back to your first question. It was just like, in 2005, the music world was fucking weird. Like, it was, it was after an Napster, before iTunes, 
and there was no real way to like sell music. Like yeah. was dead, you know, tower records was dead, mm-hmm. you know, but, and CDs were coming out, but there was no like in between. And then that was before social media too. It was hard to like make new fans online. Like we literally met our drummer on Craigslist. You know, I, I feel like real old now, like saying that, like, <laughs> you know, now like you go on Craigslist, it's like, you know, I don't know what you're going on there for, but not to find a drummer, you know? Now it's just crazy because there's so much available to people to look for other musicians or find ways to, to get the music out there. You're right. 2005 was like a new frontier right. for so many things. And it probably wasn't until like 2007, 2008, where streaming really took over album sales. And, yeah. you know, that was even before Spotify. Moving forward, now we have all this technology ahead of us and all this knowledge that's available to us just by looking it up that if you want to do all that on your own you can i would say right. you're striking while the gold is hot good on you yeah i mean look like at the end of the day I, we're, we're trying to take advantage of all the tools out there right now on social media shout out to betsy who runs leftist slash social account she's been awesome we just did a show a live stream for global green music they reached out to us from social media and we just did an interview from amber who reached out to us and it would have never happened without social media and i'm just like i'm old school like i don't I, now I'm like a believer in it because I'm like, well, let's do more posts and let's get out there more. And it's a good way to make fans and people have reached out to me. You get a lot of like bots and spam and shit like that. But, mm. you know, you do have some real people out there that are watching and stuff. And I think it's it's an interesting time to make music in a lot of ways because it's like if you have stuff and you market it the right way, you're not sure where it's going to be heard and get picked up or listened to by the right person. So you know, we feel like every time we put something out there, it's just an opportunity. And like, we look at it like, you know, very yeah. often. Absolutely. Anything you can use to your advantage to help get it out there is great. And, you know, yeah. I mean, social media can be a toxic environment, but again, it's all based on the individual and what they're using it for. You know, for I sure. don't, I don't think that it has to be toxic. I think it can be useful. It's a great way to engage people. So I'm glad that you're using it. And we'll definitely ask at the end where people could find more about Left of the Slash on your social media accounts. So it was mentioned in the press kit that Left of the Slash was influenced by Pink Floyd, as we already discussed. Black Sabbath, which is my favorite band of all time. Sonic Youth, Alison Chains, Soundgarden, Tool, The Pumpkins, The Pixies, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. You like all the good bands, so that's great. As I mentioned before, what I like about your music is that you can hear where the influences come from, but it comes out sounding like you. It doesn't sound like anybody else. Right. Is it tasking for you to make sure that when you're writing something, you're purposely not going out of your way to sound exactly like it? Like, what's your writing process like? It's a really good question. It's like the other day I, I found myself, I sent a, a riff I was writing to my friends and I, and I recently bought the big muff pedal. Um, just cause I wanted something different. Besides- All hail the muff. That is one yeah. of the best pedals ever. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I, I, I have been listening to so much pumpkins. I'm like, I gotta fucking try it. So I bought it and obviously I'm keeping it. Then I'm playing this riff and I'm like, wait, is this, is this too pumpkinsy? Like, is this, and then I sent that they're like, that's not the pumpkins. And I'm like, ah, shit. So, um, I had to change it around a little bit, but, but I mean, my, my process is, it's pretty weird. I'll be sitting here like just sitting on the couch or whatever and then all of a sudden i'll just hear a riff in my head a lot of times and i don't know where it comes from and then i'll just pick up a guitar and then leave or lay it down on like the home setup i have or um or just like my phone if i don't really have time or if it's on an acoustic 
but a lot of the music that I, that I write now is just kind of coming to me in my head. And then a lot of times I'll just pick up a guitar and start writing riffs, but sometimes I'll just hear melodies and then it just becomes the song. So my, my process is kind of like, it's weird because all of a sudden, um, you know, fast forward now, like to 2021, I have probably like 60 something songs in different stages of development for left of the slash. So it's just kind of like is pouring out of me now and I'm trying to keep up with it. And if anything, my ADD and ADHD is not helping me finish some of the songs. <laughs> if anything, I start p- finishing the song and then I start playing something else. And it's like, I have to like smack myself and be like, Hey man, fucking finish the song. It kind of is just one of those things that I feel like you either can write music or you can't. I've just been blessed with being able to actually write music. And there's nothing wrong with the people that just study other people's music and learn, you know, guitar solos that are note for note. And I, I probably know like two guitar solos, note for note, like Pink Floyd time is the one I learned when I was like 13 and I could still play it, but I've never been like that interested in like learning other people's music is maybe the, the backbone of it. And then since I've been, 13, 14 years old, I've just kind of been writing my own riffs. And then from there, it turned into writing lyrics. And then now sometimes I'm writing melodies that turn into riffs. And then I have a really good ear for music and I can't read music or write music. So it's just always about my ear too. So that's pretty much the process. And then from there, I can kind of figure out where the bass should come in, where the drums should come in, where there should be backing melodies. This album, for for example, I really I arranged all the music, and it was something that I didn't think that when I wrote it, I would have someone that was a, a producer that would come in and be like, "Well, you need to have the bridge here, the chorus here, whatever, etc., guitar solo here." But I I arranged all that music, and just because it was in my head, and I just have listened to so much music in my life and seen so much music that it's just I guess you know it's been my life study. You know, in a lot of ways. Makes sense now why it sounds original and like nothing else. And I admit I used to be one of those kids that used to take their guitar and listen to their Van Halen CDs and try to learn <laughs> stuff note for note. But it got to a point where I just said, well, I don't want to be Eddie. I want to play as good as Eddie, but I want right. to be my own player. I think that's a very healthy, refreshing attitude. I can't tell you how much I can't stand clones. <laughs> you, you, just, you just said an f- interesting one, because I've been listening to like Fair Warning on repeat lately. That it's, is my favorite album of all time. Is it really? Yes. Honestly, man, it's such a fucking good album, and I, I found myself like up the other night watching like on YouTube, like finding a video of them playing Fair Warning live, and I'm like, it's a good example. Like no one will ever be Eddie Van Halen. Like you can't ever like that. What they did there, it's just like you know. So I've always been like, okay, there's Eddie Van Halen, there's Billy Corgan, there's Jerry Cantrell. Like they're all their own people, mm-hmm. and it's funny they all are like, oh, what did we listen to? Black Sabbath, all of them. That's what they always say, right? All of them. Yeah. They're like, I need the Sabbathy tone. Corgan talks about it. At the end of the day, like you know, they're their own people, and like you know, I'm just trying to take. A little bit of what they've taught me and turn it into like something that you know people can listen to and be like i hear the influences but it doesn't sound like you're trying to rip them off those are some of the most ripped off musicians a hundred percent 
Yeah. For all of them to say that they were influenced by Sabbath or Kiss or Van Halen, it's just because I think those bands hit at the right time, the way Alice in Chains and the Pumpkins hit at the right time, because it kind of brought it back to like that dirty, rocky sound, which I cherish and I champion it. For sure. I definitely like what you said about how rather than trying to learn how other people play, you were learning how to construct songs. And I think that's important if you want to make it as a musician on your own, not have to worry about other people's expectations or what critics say. Well, you know, a lot of them will try to say this and that to dissuade people and kind of try to like compare you to someone who's on a different pedestal and sort of like downplaying what it is that you do. Ignore that shit. Just tell them to stick it for all I care, you know? Amen, brother. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it's like, you have to put yourself out there with original music too. So it's just, you mm-hmm. have to be able to take the criticism and not from like your friends and family that everything you're going to send them, they're like, Oh, that's fucking great. That's amazing. I like, I, as much as I love my, my family and friends, but I'm like, can you guys just be straight with me? Like it doesn't, <laughs> if you tell me that it's great when it sucks, it's not good advice. You know, it's just like, if you're going to tell me it's great when it's not just because I'm whatever to you. But that's a good point, though. It's it, I think what's hard for people who write music is the risk of being like let down that it's not good enough. So it's much easier to just not write music in that regard and not put yourself out there. I'd say just write in and put it out there and just always remember that validation is not nurturing. Yeah, for sure. And like, look, what I would say about writing music and putting it out there from someone that just waited their whole life to really do it the right way, you're never going to know until you do it. So if you're going to want to like regret that you like could have done something or whatnot, which I have done, the best feeling in the world is like having people like you like approach me and be like, they want to talk about my music. You know, it just makes me want to do more of it. So my advice to people like that would be like, just, just do it. And the worst thing that happens is that it's not well received. And at least you did it. At least that you know that you, it, you can do it. And if you love it, keep doing it. Exactly. Well, that's, yeah. I could tell, though, there's a simpatico there between you and I in terms of how we approach music, which is great. I also want to ask you about your gear. What do you use? My main guitar is a Lone Star Strat. Got it in 1999. And that was, I think, the last year that they were making it. Now they discontinued it. I kind of made it into a, you know, Frankenstein version of it and, like, had a have the Floyd Rose on it and put a put a shower pickup um, um, a tremolo system on it replaced all the knobs tuners it's been my main guitar forever now I mean I've had it for over twenty years now so that's um, cool yeah and then I have this PV signature I did a bunch of the songs with it. it it gets a lot of like the lower end more it's more like a Les Paul kind of feel. What I used to play and what I still play and I recorded a lot with it was I used to play a Mesa triple rectifier with a 412 cabinet. Now I still do that when I record at Total Access and whatever. The main pedal I'm using in pedal and preamp is a diesel VH4, which I don't know if you've ever tried that. I haven't tried it, but I heard diesels are sick. Well, the amp, I actually, in one of the songs, uh, Steve Ornest had it one day. It's like a $5,000 head and his friend was letting him use it. So he's like, I'm like, can we can we record with that today? And the head is like, the, you know, it's, it's made in Germany. It's like the craftsmanship is wild. But they make this pedal that's like 300 bucks that I got in New York years ago, 
when I'm like, look, I live in New York City. I, I can't have a, a Mesa triple rectifier 412 or I'll just get, you know, put on the streets. By the ladder, you'll get so many I, summonses. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, you just couldn't even turn it on. So I got rid of that. And then, yeah, that, that pedal is awesome. And then use a Crybaby, Digitech, um, Digiwami, Boss Flanger, Boss Phase Shifter, EP Booster, Compressor. That's pretty much it. It's He's all set different. up, ladies and gentlemen. He's got good shit. That's why it sounds as good as it does. Some of the pedals, well, it's, you know, and, and I'm just kind of tweaking some of it because we're about to start playing some live shows. So I'm getting that figured awesome. out. But yeah, no, that's, uh, it's a great little pedal board and um, it does the trick for sure. One thing I want to say is that in a day where music sounds so compressed as fuck on streaming mm-hmm. media, your music doesn't suffer that. It actually sounds like there's some warmth there like it sounds that it was recorded to tape and not digitalized Mm -hmm. so i don't know what you did but it's it just it has that vintage rock sound that i feel like is really missing yeah i mean look at the end of the day like we what we tried to do with it is is make it sound like a trio because it is a trio so we didn't want to have if there's you know, one guitar is playing, we didn't want to have two different guitar parts at the same time. Or if there's a guitar solo, not like a, a rhythm guitar playing. Um, and from that, we just didn't really try to overproduce the music. And we want it to be more about the performances from the vocals to all the instruments that we just, you know, luckily I was able to play with some insanely talented musicians that were able to nail these complicated songs that they've never heard before, you know, in, I don't know, a couple hours rehearsal by themselves and then come in and just nail the songs. I mean, it was just kind of wild to watch people that really haven't been living in my head my whole life Mm -hmm. um, here, here, you know, bring this music to life. And um, yeah, I mean, and I guess shout out to Aviv Cohen who played drums on six of the songs. Shout out to um, Alex Lugua who played drums on the other four shout out to julia log who played bass and uh and sang on all 10 songs and shout out to thomas Kaja, who i haven't mentioned yet who lip studio in downtown la he um he he produced and recorded four songs with me um with with tony and uh yeah we just uh we had a lot of fun with it and you know i think that it kind of translates to the music where you know, we're not doing so many different takes in the music and a lot of like the vocal takes. We tried to just get in a couple of different performances. So a lot of the stuff, you can hear some imperfections, which kind of, you know, I've kind of been able to to think of as, of as a Jay Massis or Neil Young blemish in my voice, which I'm not giving myself credit that I could sing like them, but their, <laughs> their singing was never perfect. Even Kurt Cobain in a lot of ways. Um, so I tried to like keep it where it's like, I didn't want to cut through every other word and just keep punching in, punching in, punching in, or it would have sound that it, it probably wouldn't have had the sound that you're, what you're talking about. Well, look, it's rock and roll. It's supposed to sound dirty. And yeah. if it doesn't, it ain't rock and roll. So yeah, it, 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 you just said it way better than me. <laughs> oh, 40 years on this earth. I should know something, <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you though, um, since the pandemic has been putting a lot of artists through some hard times where some have found the time to be creative others just aren't especially because of social distancing you have a full-length album due in the winter called one that's w-o-n so i guess it's safe to say that you use the time creatively 
how have you personally held up during this pandemic? And how did you use this time to your advantage? Was it all towards recording the album? So we started recording the album in a week before the pandemic in last year. So I waited, just for context, I waited 15 years, 13, 15 years to really like do this the right way. Finally got everyone together, started recording the drums, was going to go back in next week for the guitars and literally the pandemic hit. So I had to stop for three months and I got real, I don't know if I was depressed, depressed, but I was pretty pissed off. I was just like, you know, fuck man, I waited my whole life and now I finally got it together and now I don't can't be in the same room as people. And it's nah, like, I don't think anybody would blame you for feeling that way. Yeah. So, you know what, rather than feel sorry for myself, I was on the phone with Steve or Ness one day and I'm like, look, He's like, look, we can record this, but we're going to have to be in separate rooms. We can't be in the same room ever. And we have to wear masks. And I'm just like, I thought about it. I talked about it. And I'm just like, let's fucking do it. Like, I'm not just, I need something like, I can't just sit around and wait for a global pandemic to end because I can't control that. But this I could actually control. So we just kind of started cranking. And like, I think around this time last year is when we really started like getting it going then from there when i wasn't recording the album i was finishing the lyrics on some of it finishing some of the the, the instrumentals were, were already kind of done for the most part i think they were really all they've been done for a long time so it was more just finalizing the, the vocals and the lyrics and figuring out where the harmonies would go and that was pretty easy because julia's is so fucking talented that it was just like you know the other thing with me was i was like you know, I have so much respect for these artists that played with me that I'm like, look, I want you to take your own approach to this. Like, I'm not a drummer. I'm not really a bass player. I play like bass, but I'm not a bass player. So I want you to like bring your own to it. And it was just a really creative process in that regard, um, collaborating with people that really know what they were doing. And then from there, I just started writing a lot of music from it because I was just inspired. And then I started to hear some of the music when it was done. And I'm like, shit, like, you know, that's what it should sound like. And I could do this. So from there, I just kept writing and writing and writing. And I, I probably wrote 20 something, 30 songs over the last year. So, I mean, in various stages, again, like what I was saying before, some of them are you know, the riffs and they're missing the vocals or I just have the harmonies. A lot of people were, were saying how it was hard to feel inspired. And for me, it just happened that I was recording while this was going on and I had my own inspiration for it. But I feel like that, like at the end of the day, like, you know, my favorite bands like Pink Floyd, for example, have always been able to highlight, you know, the, 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 the like the negative emotions of human beings and really highlight that and then make inspiration, ins inspirational music based on that. So I always found that when times are really good, it's hard to make music when times and there's more turmoil and like, you know, and, and, and there's, and there's stuff pulling you back. I feel like that's when like the best stuff comes out for me at least. But like, you know, I've seen some like EDM guys that are like, they can't make happy music in the pandemic. And like, I love EDM music and it's, and like, I get that. But for me, I've always like Black Sabbath, Floyd, Tool, like, you know, it's about stuff and it's uncomfortable feelings and your emotions and what they talk about. Right. And mm -hmm. that's what I always found really the most interesting versus like sunshine and lollipops. You know, it's just not yeah. that interesting to me. <laughs> well, unless you're planning on rewriting Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, know, you think you're in the wrong field. Look, but like I'm in a wedding. Like I love that shit. But like, you know, most of the time I'm not, you know.
Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> uh, that's the only time I will accept listening to novelty songs like How Bizarre by OMC. I don't want to hear it <laughs> in my car. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, no, for sure. I can't believe so, I went that far back. Oh, my goodness. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, you're but, not too much older than me. Come on, bro. All right, man. That's okay. <laughs> I, I can laugh about it. I need to ask you, what are your favorite albums from Floyd, Sabbath, and Tool? Okay. Well, that's a really good question. Fan to fan, so... Yeah, yeah, Floyd is, it's, so Pink Floyd Animals is my favorite album of all time. It has Dogs on it by Pink Floyd, which is my favorite song of all time. Mm -hmm. And I think that band at the time was the best band ever. So that's an easy, the, the Floyd is easy. Sabbath. It could be any lineup. It, it could even be from uh, the Dio years. No, I, think, I think volume four is probably, you know, recently, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can listen to Supernaut on repeat for like fucking days straight and it doesn't get mm-hmm. old. That's recently one of the I was reading ever. that it's, it's yeah, recently I was reading and I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan. There was a whole story and I'll send it to you. It's pretty cool. But he was talking about how he was going to open for Black Sabbath at the Garden and then Tony Iommi was having a bad night and he just wouldn't let him on. But he said that Supernaut was the best riff ever written by anyone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? That's the fucking Riffmeister, Frank Zappa right there talking. So he knows his shit. He doesn't really throw around compliments too much. So I would say volume four. And then you said Soundgarden? Uh, Tool. Tool. So I think Tool is my second favorite band. I hate giving orders, but I think it's like Sabbath 3 and Tool. But then it's like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, and uh, the Pumpkins are right there. So it's just – it's hard. I don't like to rank, but I think Tool is – neck and neck with Floyd and my favorite bands. I didn't start listening to Tool until I was much older, like 2005. So, and my, and so my friends at the time got me into it and I didn't really, I was like, well, they're probably just too heavy. I saw that sober thing. Like me, I don't know if it's like for me. And then I just started like, I saw them live and it just changed my life. Like to this day, I, I, I listen to them more than probably any band by far. It's hard to, to name, you know, it's, 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 it's like, what, what, what day do you catch me? I've been listening to Undertow a lot. I think Bottom may be one of my favorite songs, but, you know, and then you get into, you know, arguments with Tool fans at Paul D'Amour versus Justin Chancellor. And, like, I just think Maynard is by far, in my opinion, like, the best vocalist ever because he's been able to just do so much from, from that in a perfect circle. And he, I'm not too into Pussifer, but I think that just, he's changed music for a lot. And I don't think I really like put them in the same category as a lot of the nineties bands because Mm -hmm. they were just kind of different. And like, were they an LA rock band, like Rage Against Machine? Like, I guess, (laughs) but like, you know, they they had more in common with Rage and Green Jello than they did Dokken. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and like so um you know i don't know i mean like i love Ten Thousand days i love lateralis they're all just fucking great albums even their newest yeah. album i really i haven't listened to it obviously as much as i've listened to that but it's awesome i love the new album i'd have to say in response to you i'd have to say for me floyd and you're gonna think i'm crazy for saying this but i have to say division bell because high okay. hopes every time i hear that song it gets me. Gilmore is my number one of all time. He's, he's one of the greatest. And he's, he's, like, not, he's, the, he's the god. Like He's on the Mount Rushmore, four Mount Rushmores for me. He's yeah. my number one. And, and he plays simple, but can you copy that feel? You know, like. He, he doesn't play simple, though, because he. 
so so that's where it's like if you're looking at it on a tabs right you're like well i could play that but then i'm like okay so you play it and then he'll play it and there's so much blues and soul in his bends and his riffs it's because it's really an extension of his voice and his voice is one of the best voices of all time oh yeah you know? crystal so, clear and just shines so well and, yeah when you uh, see him live he sounds like you're listening to god speak or sing it's just yeah. like baritone like godlike voice you know but division bell that's a, that's that's a good one yeah high hopes has to be my favorite floyd song it's just you know it has a lot of meaning for me sabbath i get torn between volume four and sabotage i never know again for me it depends on what day tool i'd have to say anima because that definitely meant that and i guess everyone pronounces it differently um uh, but i yeah. i love that album but are you serious that there's a debate between tool fans over paul Tamore and justin chancellor no that's well, insane well, i'm on i'm kind of like a nerd when it comes to tool and i'm like on all these like, facebook tool groups there are certain fans they're like justin is my bass player i won't listen to anything paul demore i'm like you guys are fucking idiots first oh, off god yeah it, it, yeah there's there's a lot of opinions out there is all i'll say just Let's enjoy the out. music man come on it, exactly they're both very different bass players and we're all just lucky that they both got to play on different stuff you know like it's yeah. sellable you know like it's it's great shit you know i think undertow uh, and opa would have worked with justin but i would say that paul captured the sound of tool perfectly on his with his performance on those two albums you know that plucky R- rickenbacker that he played you know yeah great stuff 100 percent, and just the drive and overall feel to it it's like i don't know i don't know if justin it's different because like then when Justin started doing stuff like lateralis, it kind of the music evolved into this like yeah, epic, yeah, the natural evolution, which is the yeah. way it should be when you're uh, you're recording. You can't regress as a band, you know. You gotta keep moving forward, which is what I love about them. And I see you're a dog lover too. Oh, you are so cute. <laughs> what breed is she? Well, this is also what got us through the pandemic. We got her a, a year ago last week. So she's oh. okay. Down. Okay, I can't play her now. Uh, <laughs> So she's a half Australian Shepherd, half Standard Poodle. I need she's- to bring my Aloysius on the show one day. That's my sheet too. She makes all the decisions for Left of the Slash. She's the real brains. <laughs> Very cool. By the way, is something covering your mic right now? It sounds a little mm, muffled. Um, hold on. Let me try something. We're talking about all our past rock bands, all our favorite past. One of the pet peeves that I have with legacy musicians especially is this bullshit statement that I constantly hear them say, and you know who I'm talking about, Gene Simmons, that rock is dead. I'd like your thoughts on that statement, please. You have the floor, sir. I I never really believed in that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of bands, like Dinosaur Jr. just released an album like, a month ago or so and you know it's like is rock what it was in the 70s or 80s or 90s no but i think it's evolved and there there's there's some really still great bands out there making music i never understood that i think that rock is like if you look if you really want to listen to rock and roll like it's definitely out there is it as prevalent as it used to be no when did he say that again what year was that Oh, dear God, I don't remember. Um, He brings it up like every time he's interviewed, you know, because he's Gene Simmons and he copyrighted the dollar sign. And and I love Kiss, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I hear Gene talk and I'm just like, 
Jesus, dude, shut up. You know, like, Rock is not dead. Rock the way he remembered it, I think, is dead. I look at it this way. You take a lot of the bands from the 70s that had crazy writers, that had, you know, drug bills the size of a friggin' baby's arm that, you know, they would write off as tax write-offs and things like that. They were spoiled. They were enabled. It's not like now where it's like artists have the capability of doing everything on their own so that this way... There's no record label. There's no middleman to try to take a majority of their earnings, mm-hmm. you know? So I would say maybe rock or the music industry, the way he knew it is dead now, but there's still artists out there that are thriving. There's still artists out there that are doing it their own way sure. and they're succeeding at it just because it's not in the mainstream, just because it's not the flavor of the month or popular or whatever doesn't mean that it's not working out for the creators of said art in my opinion at least yeah for sure personally i think the live music scene is going to make a huge rebound and there's going to be a huge resurgence for people like me and you that love to go see shows i just think that now people are fully vaccinated and today in la they you know you don't have to wear masks at a restaurant and you know, it was kind of weird seeing that before. Um, but I think what's going to happen is people are going to get the bug to like really want to go see live music even more and more. And I think stuff like EDM and I think rock and roll music are going to do really well from it because I think people need that escape. And I think what they've realized over the last year and a half now or whatever it's been is being grounded and having something like that taken away from you. And I think a lot of people for, like forgot the feeling. I mean, I know I have of what it's like to see a live show and just kind of like put your phone away and, you know, just kind of like let your mind like, you know, relax a little bit and just kind of like escape. So I think that rock music is going to make a pretty big push and live rock music in, in, in particular. I would have to agree with that statement. I mean, I just actually played uh, a friend's backyard barbecue on the second last weekend in May. And let me tell you, there's people that are dying to get back on stage. There's people that are dying to go back to seeing shows. So I would have to say that you're right. Let's hope that happens sooner than later. Oh, yeah. As I mentioned before, today's day and age, you have information available on the Internet for artists, musicians to take advantage of learning about self-publishing, copywriting, and ownership of their art and self-releasing i appreciate the fact that you self-release your music as i noticed on itunes that on the bottom it's uh, it does, there's no record label to it it's, so it's, it's all self-released rather than be dependent on a major corporation to develop you you see you're doing it on your own terms you know you're currently working with symphonic distribution to distribute your music and videos you have a great pr team that helps you out has that system been working well for you and is there any plans on wanting to make it to like a sony or capital or anything like that yeah i mean look like right now um with this album you know and especially releasing it at the time of the world in the music industry where it is it was kind of like a, a no-brainer to just release it um, as an independent artist, because personally, like it was either that or, or, you know, keep talking to record labels and whatnot. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, the music industry is in a very strange place right now with what just happened in the last year. So I'm not really going to let that slow down what we're doing, you know, at the end of the day. So we kind of made a decision that we're going to release it as an independent artist. We got introduced to Jason Jordan at Symphonic and they've just been awesome. And it's been very easy for us to release music and get it out there on you know, I think 45 different digital service providers. It's been really easy for us to get it out there. And, 
you know, we've had um, companies like Tinderbox Music, um, John DeLong, to really help us with the promotion there. I'm not ruling anything out in the future and whatnot. And right now we're just kind of having fun and getting the stuff out there and, you know, having conversations like this. And at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. Another thing that I like about what you do is that your artwork, it's simple and effective. You know, you have the uh, the gas meter pointing towards E with the name of the band around it. The imagery holds up very well with the music. I assume that the art direction is all you. That's that that's all you're planning. I thought of the name. I sketched out the idea of what it should be, and it's always been in my head. And then recently, we actually got it professionally done. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I came up with the concept like a long time ago. So basically, Left of the Slash was from a Seinfeld episode, actually. When, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan. No, I love Seinfeld. I'm trying to remember which one it was. So you remember the one when, when Kramer, he was test driving the car and he wanted to see how much, how far he could go without getting gas? Yes, yeah. <laughs> And he goes to the guy, he goes, no one's ever been this far left of the slash ever. And I'm like, wait, left of the slash. I'm like that. I understand. I'm like, wait, you. So, and to me, it always meant like, it's a play on words of like perseverance, because it's like, when you think that you have nothing left in the tank, you still have, you're still driving so that you still have life, but you have to make your decisions like wisely, but you also have to like be resilient and not just give up and say, I'm going to run out of gas and that's it. So that's kind of what left of the slash means to me. But yeah, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. So it, it came from Kramer in that episode, <laughs> which is no one really thinks that that's what it is. But I'm like, yeah, it's what it is. I absolutely love Seinfeld. Frasier was my favorite sitcom of the 90s, but I okay. love Seinfeld. What are some of your plans that you have with promotion for one once it's released? Are you looking to get it towards college radio through CMJ, maybe hit up some independent college radio marketing companies because i know college radio is probably one of the quickest ways to really build up a name for yourself having been a college radio dj in the past with cmj i remember i was at my college radio station i was the loud rock guy we were breaking shadows fall kill switch engage and mastodon lamb of god a bunch of other bands that ended up becoming like the metal bands of that decade 2000 to 2009 so is that something that you're planning yeah we actually um we did one uh a college radio promotion with with tinderbox music and it was really well received we did it a couple of uh, i guess in the beginning of the year and it was charting you know pretty well you know we still have some relationships with those radio stations all over the country and hopefully we'll play some shows at them when you know that that's back going the goal right now is that we're releasing the 10 song uh lp as individual singles once a month and then we're going to release the full album and we just actually reached the halfway point last week so we released five songs we have five more to go at the end of the year we'll we'll see where we're at but i think really uh what we're focused on right now is you know playing some shows so you know we're hoping in the next month or so there's more stuff out in LA and, you know, maybe on the West Coast and whatnot. So that's what we're really kind of focused on right now while simultaneously, you know, promoting the album. Any plans to tour the rest of the United States as well? Yeah, we got invited to play South by Southwest next year. So that, that's be, a big deal. Cool. Yeah, that's that's going to be fucking cool. I mean, obviously, um, Steve Ray Vaughn, I've got his stuff everywhere here. So like Austin is like, you know, 
the uh, you know just to play on the stage that probably one of them has been on is enough for me to retire. So yeah, we're we're gonna we're we're hoping like next year stuff is a lot more open, and then you know there's the festivals for next year a lot more. Um, they're, they're happening in the earlier of the summer in places like LA. So we're just gonna try and play about as much as we can in the you know Q3 of this year and and Q4, but it's really looking like Q4 at this point. Yeah, just try to have fun with it. And, you know, hopefully people can come out and see us and you know they have fun too i like to see you make it to like a fun 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 fest i think that's what it's called that festival is most famous because that's where the original misfits reunited and they caters to a lot of like alternative bands you know both in the alternative rock and punk and you know metal genres where it's like if you play something that's in demand by just people who love music like that seems to be like a festival where people really really go towards and i remember i i watched a performance from the band cave in mm-hmm. and i love their antenna album and they actually performed stuff that this is when they released white silence and great performance that they had there so uh, i would i would like to see that for your band austin city limits i i long got broke that that's where i wrote i've seen that way too many fucking times I've my three, my three favorite performances from that show were stevie ray vaughn eric johnson and tom waits so Eric Johnson, I've seen a bunch of times. I, I mean, I, I actually saw him in as small places, the Blue Note in uh, in the village. Oh, you've been to the Blue Note? Oh yeah, man! Oh, fucking well, rest in peace, Chick Korea. I used to see him all the time mm-hmm. there. Stanley Clark, like, um, I love jazz, but I mean, Eric Johnson is like has always been like one of my idols. I mean, oh, he's amazing. He's always one of those guys. Like, you know, I, at first I I was like, oh, I'm gonna try and play Cliffs of Dover, and then everyone. <laughs> But then I'm like, I can't fucking play this like he can. And 20 years later, I'm still trying to play that fucking song. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's it's uh, Eric Johnson's Eric Johnson and his tone and the way he plays. And there's still, yeah, but he's he's from Austin. Yeah. yeah. Him and Paul Gilbert are two guitar players I'll never try to emulate because I can't. Right. <laughs> they're yeah. just two. They're, they're Paul Gilbert and Eric Johnson. That's yeah. why there's one of them. For sure. And that's it. But uh, I, I've been to the Blue Note once, actually. I saw the Tommy Flanagan trio there. That was a great. Yeah. Uh, jazz show. There was Tommy Flanagan on piano. He had a drummer and a stand-up bassist and great show. And again, back to the power of trios. So, you know, we know how, how good they are. My final question and before I begin that, I just want to say, Stephen, it really was a, a big honor for me to have you on the show and just talk your music and talk music that both of us love. I'm glad that I got to know more about you. I really hope that when people see this, they gravitate towards wanting to know more about your music. But of course, they won't be able to know that unless they know where they can find you. So, where can the good people of planet Earth find more about Leth of the Slash. I'd say our most active platform is Instagram. It's just Instagram uh, at, at Left of the Slash. Pretty easy. Um, we have all of our links on there and we're pretty active on putting up content and, you know, putting, aggregating all of uh, the press and the releases and whatnot. So um, we have a really good team and they're doing a great job. So I, I, I would go to Instagram. I'll make sure to definitely put a link in the description of the video. I just cool. want to say, do you have any uh, final words before we wrap this up? Um, I don't know. We, we covered a lot, man. I, I would say the honor is mine. I, it's always re- like refreshing hearing people that know what they talk, they're, they're talking about, talk about my music in, in a positive way and really being interested. And it definitely gets me inspired 
to keep making more music and keep showing people that that are doubting what we could do that we could do it so looking forward for you to come see us live when when that happens would and love to you're we're in new york yep i'm in new york born and raised in astoria queens i live in long island right now wife daughter puppy help me <laughs> <laughs> well you got you you're always gonna have music as your uh as your escape right yeah well i i tell you it's for me it's a big deal doing this podcast because i love talking about music stuff that I grew up loving, stuff that's out there that is new that I really enjoy and just bringing it to a new platform. I don't feel like I'm doing a service. I'm just having a good time. The only thing that I really care about is just making sure that people know about some of the music out there that I think is good and worth t- checking out. I get no kickback for this. This is merely a labor of love. And it's something that just keeps me up to date on the new stuff that's out there because I don't want to be at my age just stuck on what I grew up loving. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want to be that. And I just want to be able to share that with people. The fact that you were willing to come on, talk about yourself, talk about your music and just shoot the shit with me. I'm very appreciative and humbled for it thank you thank you so much lou i really appreciate it man this has uh been great and uh hopefully meet in person someday and i hope so have a great night man thank you man thank you so much and you know if you ever do come back to new york even to visit hey let me know we'll grab a brew or something let's do it man hell yeah all right have a great night thanks a lot if you want to check out more about the music is live podcast check us out over at music is live podcast.com and don't forget also check out our parent network ratsireview.com and check out some of the other podcasts that are on ratsireview.com including the one that I'm part of, which is the flagship show, Ratsaw Review. Also check out Beyond Bushido, which is our pro wrestling MMA podcast. Check out Old Man's Metal Musings, where he talks about everything from metal to beer to hot sauce. And I challenge you, Old Man Metal. I heard you're a huge hot sauce fan, so let's uh, let's have a 10-wing challenge. Whoever uh, quits first, well, loses. Isn't that obvious? Also check out Suck My Balls, which is the South Park podcast. Oh, no reaction? Oh, that's the first time I didn't get a reaction for that. Are you are you all my reactions? I thought you were... I, I, <laughs> wow, he keeps it professional, ladies and gentlemen. That is awesome. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know if you... you I'm supposed to be on at this point, so I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but every time I've said suck my balls, I've always gotten a funny reaction. Oh, yeah, I, I, I love South Park. I, that's shit right there. <laughs> oh, nice. Cool. Anyways, I was saying, check out Suck My Balls, a South Park podcast, and... Check out the Vieira Vault with Ralph Vieira, a.k.a. Dr. Fuck from Thrasher Dying Combat and the Rockin' Metal Combat Podcast. And that being said, thank you for watching the Music is Live podcast. Steven, Leather the Slash, thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great night. Thank you, you too. And remember, everyone, all art is valid. Thank you so much for listening to the Music is Live podcast. Music is Live podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm and RatsAreview.com. Check out the other shows on Ratsai Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man's Metal Musings, The Right Opinion, Suck My Balls, a South Park podcast, The Vieira Vault, and the Team Wotoki podcast. Graphics for the video portion of the show were done by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find him on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leug, and myself. If you'd like to donate to the channel, or if you're in a band and you want me to review you, then donate to my PayPal at musicislivepodcast at gmail.com. 
Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle, with much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, including where to find me on social media, check out musicislifepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album vs. Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for Those Who Love Politics, a South Park podcast called Suck My Balls, The Infinite Fringe, a watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido, Extradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast, and the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and The Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more.